There's a saying among copywriters, especially online conversion copywriters, that goes back to Eugene Schwartz. He put it like this, sales copy is not written, copy is assembled. And of course that's true. The messages that customers relate to best are assembled from interviews, surveys, and other research. But in subscribing to this idea, a lot of copywriters have inadvertently lost the connection to creativity and copy. After all, What's the point of being creative if the words are in the survey responses? Our guest for the Copywriter Club podcast today takes a more creative approach than many copywriters we know. Dave Harland, also known as the Word Man, walked us through his 10-step process for coming up with big, compelling ideas. And he shared the three questions that he asks every time he comes up with a good headline or a good idea to make sure that it is good. He also talked in depth about his unconventional approach to posting on LinkedIn, one that has attracted a lot of great clients for his business. If you want to be more creative in your approach to copywriting, this episode is for you. But before we get to the interview, this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank. That is our mastermind for copywriters, content writers, and other marketers who want to figure out the next thing in their businesses. That could be anything from creating a new revenue stream or a couple new revenue streams to launching a new product or a subscription service or a membership or podcast, book, you name it. Our members are doing incredible things. And we actually have a retreat coming up in early June. It's a virtual retreat and a in-person retreat in London in September. And so we are really excited to add a couple of new members to the think tank before the retreat in June. And if you think that could be you, visit copywriterthinktank.com to apply. Let's kick off our episode with Dave. Probably like most people, fell into it completely by accident. Uh, my, no, my background is journalism, so I did a journalism degree. I mean, before that, loved writing as a kid, as uh, you know, I presume most copywriters had a, you know, a love of words growing up. Um, yeah, got into like Scrabble when I was six with my dad and just never looked back really. Started writing poems and stories and loved English at school. So yeah, that led me down a journalism path. So I did work experience at the local paper when I was at school for a couple of weeks and just loved the buzz of that. And then yeah, went to university to do journalism degree. So it was a three-year undergrad degree in journalism, um, which really kind of opened my eyes to all the different kind of types and styles that were out there. I just thought, you know, when I went there, I was just writing about news. Didn't for one moment think I'd be learning how to, you know, package up a radio um, kind of news article or we did a little bit of TV as well. I haven't got a face for TV at all. Um, so we, <laughs> we, 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 we tried that. And then, like, watching it back, I just looked all kind of nervous and my tongue was hanging out. I just I was like, TV isn't for me. Um, and at the time, they just introduced an online route. So it was online journalism. In your third year, you get to, spe- uh, you know, specialise in TV, um, newspapers, radio, or this new route online. And in a class of 100, there was only two of us that went for online. I mean, I'm talking... 2002 2003 so google was only like you know in its infancy there was no social media at all really maybe myspace was just starting but there was nothing like that and i thought yeah you know that's where the world's headed let's do this so i learned a little bit of photoshop learned about dreamweaver and you know basic html 
and some of them things that I learned back then, I still I still kind of use today. Maybe not in the copywriting side of things, but certainly on my website or you know when creating little memes and things. So yeah, so that was the journalism side of things. But then I only really did four months of journalism. I worked as a football reporter or so, sorry, soccer reporter um, in um, for, just for a, for a website um, based in Manchester, which isn't isn't far far from where I live. But I was only there for like three or four months. My face didn't really fit, so I was on the scrap heap looking for a new job. And my old university came came calling and said, do you fancy being the editor of our journalism department website? So I went back there and I still thought that was like, oh, great journalism. You know, I'm interviewing students. It was just it was promoting the university and all the courses, really. I was a secret copywriter, um, but I didn't know it. So then, yeah, I was there for a couple of years and then got a job as an actual copywriter for a Christmas hamper company, um, which is a bit of a mad one. But yeah, it was round the corner from where I lived. And at the time I was kind of, I just met a girl, moved back home rather than, rather than being at the university. So it was just a nice little fit. Again, it, it was a copywriting role, but it did, it, 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 like the job title was content and communications coordinator. I was like the editor of their customer magazine. So again, I, st- I still wasn't 100%, you know, I'd never never really heard the word copywriter before until about two years in when they, they asked me to start doing their like that, uh, direct mail letters um, and some kind of product descriptions for their catalogue which is when like the official said, oh, so I'm a copywriter now. Let's let's Google that and find out all I can. So that's, yeah, that kind of led me to where I am. So that was that was about 17 years ago I joined that company. So I've been doing it kind of ever since then. Um, so yeah, I was there for 10 years and then kind of got a bit bored. I, mean, I probably outstayed my welcome by about five years. And then a friend of mine had just moved to an agency in Dubai and started um, asking me if I wanted to do um, some some projects for him um that was about two years before i left um and then yeah after that two years i I was kind of earning more on the side than i was in my day job and it made sense to go it alone and be a a full-time freelance copywriter um so that's what i've been doing ever since so over the past seven years yeah pure generalist everything from um kind of email campaigns and, and tone of voice projects to um you know banner ads and conceptual stuff I, I tend to leave the longer form blog posts and case studies and the more content marketing stuff for the sector specialists so I, I tend to focus more on the big idea and um, more leaning towards stuff with with humor and personality um, of late so that's me in a nutshell so as you talk about that Dave obviously you had the journalism training did you ever have any specific copywriting training or was everything learned you know on the job and I guess, you know, if, what would you say, like, are the, you know, three or four big things that you had to learn in order to become really good at what you do? And you're, I mean, this is me saying you're really good at what you do. Oh, nice one. Because um, I'd find it hard to take compliments sometimes. You now when you're just kind of working on it and people say, oh, you're really good. I'm just like, oh, whatever. You know, it's just, I've kind of just fell into this. I think it's probably because I haven't got, you know, that kind of formal training. So training wise, uh, when I, when I was about three years into that that job at the Christmas Hamper Company, they they said, "Why don't you do some day courses just to learn some really kind of intense skills?" So I did a few one day courses. There's a place called the IDM in London, uh, Institute of Direct and Digital Marketing. So they do some really good 
just I think it was just one or two day courses, one on how to write more powerful direct mail letters, another one how to write a, a really kind of impactful sales email. So I did about three or four of those and they really gave me the foundation in most of the, the fundamental skills that I use today. So, you know, put put the reader first and the importance of benefits over features and the kind of the, the staples of which which form the, the kind of basis of, of most of the stuff I still write today, and you know probably what most copywriters out there uh, write. So by yeah by doing them courses, if it gave me the confidence to kind of see myself as a copywriter and not so much a, a, a kind of journalist um, anymore. So so yeah, aside from that, not, nothing else. It was just kind of learning as I went. Did loads of testing at the, at the company where we, we, we were at. So, you know, we were testing email subject lines and because it was, a uh, you know, a Christmas hamper company you, and orders were coming in all the time, you could see what was working and what wasn't. So um, we, could, we could really hone the copy on the fly, which is good. We never really got to do much testing on, on websites or anything like that. That that functionality came after I'd left, um, but I'd have, I'd have loved to, to kind of use use that as well. So. What helped you transition from your agency time to going freelance? You know, you mentioned you had, I think, one project from one client, but what else helped you make that that jump? Yeah, so I had it's well, I started off with one one project for um, my friend's new agency, and that was, I think, it was like a an IT website, a ten pager. I think I charged something like it was really low. It's like you know a couple of hundred pounds, which is like I, probably, I think I charged like 20, 20 times that now for for the equivalent of what I did. So it was it was just for me it was just like wow I can I can do it. I can earn money. I get paid like actual money. I'm not like waiting for the end of the month for my salary to drop in. I've just been paid from that. So I was like mm, how can I how can I do more of that? So the agency themselves were sending me a little bit more work. It wasn't like by any means like regular stuff that I could. I could really, you know, sack my job off and, 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 and go all in on that. But it opened my eyes to what was possible. So I thought, you know, how how can I do a little bit more of this and not just relying on that agency? So I thought, right, I need to do two things. I need to I need to kind of market myself. So I created this brand. So I branded myself the word man. Um used the word word specifically rather than copy because I thought in the in the you know the early days I'll be targeting small businesses many of whom will not have even heard the word copywriter. Somebody might have said, oh, you know, your you, you copy is rubbish. You, you need to speak to a copywriter. You know, as most copywriters know, at one point or another, they've had an, an email in their inbox asking about trademarks and all of that type of stuff. So there's, there's that confusion. So I made sure, right, let's kind of ground it in the, in the word word rather than copy. Um, so that's what I did. Uh, and then I put a portfolio together of everything that I'd really written that I was kind of proud of from the job that I was at, from stuff that I did when I was a kid. So even like stories, some spec stuff, this little Twitter contests and stuff where you, you know, come up with ideas for random brands or, or um, charities and stuff. So all of that, I just kind of lumped on that website. And I spoke to a few SEO nerds as well that were at my my previous company who showed me how to um, start ranking number one for all the local searches for copywriters. So where I'm based, Liverpool, Liverpool copywriter, I've been number one since since that since I set that up really. And all the kind of local towns and stuff, I'm number one when people search for that. So I was hitting the, the kind of top of Google when any um, any of those types of businesses. Um, was searching and I made sure that yeah the copy itself was just 
it, you know, it wasn't talking about, you know, strategic innovations or anything like that. It was just really down to earth stuff. Speaking to, you know, Bob, who runs a factory, who's been told, you know, you'll get more business if people understand what you do, because at the moment you're just waffling on your website. So I was speaking to Bob on my website. So when he landed there, everything kind of made sense to him. And I started getting inquiries through from, from local people as well. So I had this steady agency stuff coming from my friend in Dubai, which I worked, worked with them probably for about six or seven years. Don't, don't do much stuff for them anymore, but I was doing stuff regularly for them for a while. And then, yeah, just projects coming in from from local people. Yeah, so that was, like I said before, after about, I think it was less than two years. It was about, it was only like nine months, nine months after doing that first project. I set the website up, put my portfolio on there, started getting clients in and, and was earning more on the side than I was in my day job. So I was just like, right, it's it's now or never. Let's, you know, let's, let's go for it. So yeah, I handed me notice in and um, that was 2016. So I've been doing it ever since. And what does a typical day look for you? look like for you today, Dave? Like what kinds of projects are you working on, you know, clients that you're working with? I know you're still working with a lot of little guys, yeah? Or is it bigger than that now? Not so much, no. It's probably 80% big brands or big brands through agencies and then 20% the odd kind of smaller clients if it's a fun project, if they get in touch and, and say, you know, we want to we want to have a bit of a laugh with our advertising or, you know, our, our stuff's a little bit boring. How can you turn the dial up in terms of that humor? So they're the more smaller businesses that I work with. But yeah, I'd say four out of five of them are bigger brands. So I'll work either directly with, the, with those businesses um, who will find me, you know, could be through the socials. I do an email every Friday. I get, get clients through that. And then there's the other... 50% of those of that 80% is, um, is agencies. So yeah, so I'll be working on their client stuff or occasionally for their own lead gen stuff. I do quite a lot of that for, for agencies as well, who, especially at the, at the moment, you know, um, economic downturn and more agencies are looking at how can we market ourselves and stand out. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much a 50, 50 split, I'd say with agencies and businesses. So, um, my day normally starts by getting punched in the face i've got a little 20 month old little boy so yeah it was up quite early um i'm an i'm an early bird as well so i'm normally in the office before eight eight well be, yeah between eight and nine i suppose but yeah getting um not as early as it used to be i used to be a proper early bird it used to be like 6 a.m starts before we had before we had jack but now it's yeah now they're few, few and far between um but yeah just obviously depends on what what project I'm working on, but it'll be, I tend to do about three and a half days worth of client work a week. So actual writing, thinking, project stuff. And then the other day and a half, I'll spend either um, promoting myself on social media, writing my own marketing email, or doing the other bits and bobs that come with, you know, f uh, running a freelance business, which nobody really understands unless they do it. All of the, you know, the admin replying to emails, putting proposals together, um, you know, taking photos of receipts so I can claim expenses, all of that stuff, which, you know, people just, yeah, if, if you don't run a business, you don't realize all that goes on. So, so um, you know, you have such an impressive portfolio after working with all these big brands. And for a copywriter who might be listening to this and is like, I want to do that too. I want to work with the big brands. What advice would you give them, especially if they're just starting out beyond just, you know, experience, get better? What else can they start to do to position themselves for that type of work? 
yeah, I think getting that type of stuff like off the bat, like straight away, is is tough. I think you know, unless you've been established for a while, or you've kind of built that reputation or or portfolio working with the bigger brands, I think it's going. It, it's certainly going to be tough for, for for those types of um to get those bigger projects from the off. Certainly, having a portfolio of your your all all your best work, so you can demonstrate straight away exactly what you're good at um, and what you can provide. I think that's that's hugely important. But there's a couple of ways that you can also um, kind of target those businesses. And I did a talk last week to some Gen Z copywriters, and they they were asking me the same things. Oh, how can we stand out? You know, how can we make a bigger brand kind of notice us? And I said, well, if you know, if you target a brand that you, you really want to work for, have a look at everything they do, have a look at their market, and have a look at their website. See if there's anything on there which isn't particularly good and rewrite it and send it to somebody who's kind of in charge of that, whether it's the brand manager, the marketing manager, whoever oversees that bit. You don't have to be like, all, oh, aren't I great? I've re- rewritten this. If, if you can demonstrate your skills as a copywriter, like the first thing you should be able to do is is market yourself and t- and talk about yourself and persuade people that you're the right kind of choice. So, yeah, one of the way. I mean, I I probably take it to the extreme in my newsletter. So I tend to pick on the really, really, really bad stuff and just kind of go to town on what's really bad in a in a you know I'm I'm doing I'm doing it more for entertainment than being really vindictive. But yeah, that's that's the approach that I take. But yeah, I was saying to these these um, more junior copywriters, that's that's one way in. Take something that those those brands have done, and yeah, if if there's something particularly you know not working, demonstrate how you could you know make it better and improve on it. Um, so that's that's one way to kind of yeah the cutthroat kind of way of go, going s- straight for it really. So earlier when you were talking about uh, you know, some of the the approach that you have to your business, you talked about the big idea. You're the you know the person that comes up with a big idea. I think that's really obvious in your newsletter and your in your social media um, posts. And we'll definitely want to talk more about that. You know um, what your approach is there. But before we do that, talk about coming up with big ideas. And I know this is a little bit nebulous, you know, there's not a process that necessarily works for everybody, but how do you do it? Where do those ideas come from? How deep do you, you know, get into the weeds in order to find those ideas? Just, you know, you're, you're thinking around that. It varies from project to project. I suppose in, in the ideal project would be where I've got complete access to that brands or that, that businesses, you know, customers, people that, that work for the, the brand speaking to them it's just it's just so invaluable you, you, i know there's copywriters out there who are writing stuff having never even spoken or heard anything from the, the people who are actually buying from from that brand and it's it's such a, a a quick win to be able to speak to those people so wherever possible you know ask ask to speak to one or two or even you know, up to five maybe of their their client and just ask them about what's it like what, what what's this brand like you know what's what's your past experience of them what are the products like you know have they ever failed you know what what do you tell people about these products nine, nine times out of ten it's like i don't give it this stuff a second thought i just you know wash my hair with this shampoo i don't care and it's uh, you know that's the way it should be really you know no one wants a no one wants a shampoo brand to be their best mate as much as they they you know they try but yeah, the, the, the kind of process, certainly looking into or doing that, that research into the voice of the customer 
and it, yeah, it's handy to speak to people that work for them as well. So speaking to to, to their staff and, and various people involved um, in the, the, the kind of um, whatever processes go on behind the scenes, especially if I'm writing, you know, a brand story or any kind of social media stories, which really explain what what that brand does and the process that they go through to to kind of deliver a service or create the product. Um, so that's definitely the first step. Sometimes they won't be available to you. So you'll have to do a little bit of digging. So I'll have a look on forums or I'll have a look on review sites and fa- you know Facebook reviews and stuff like that. You can actually pick a load of really nice little sound bites up there. Just a lot of customers, when you speak to them, they maybe it's like when you're filling a survey, they feel a little bit on the spot. Like they should be only saying nice stuff about this stuff. Whereas when they're slagging off a brand or a company on the socials, that's where they're using the real kind of heart, heart hearty, emotive stuff. So... Yeah, that's that's a, a, a crucial one as well to to dig into forums and review sites and have a look at how they actually talk. So that's the that's the way I kind of get the the voice of the customer in my head. So you know, now and again they'll have a tone of voice document or some kind of previous copy, which this is how we sound, this is how we want to come across. But by listening to how the customers talk as well, that allows me to get almost like an entirely new vocab in my head so when i'm writing the stuff i can really play back some of those phrases back to them even if they're not contained or not not within the constraints of their the brand's um you know tone of voice guidelines so that's that's crucial i mean there's other research as well i I will always try and get hold of a product so i've been writing for headphones brand recently i've got the products i've got three of their products i've had a play around with them i've you know you can feel i think when you can feel something and like the case for these headphones has got like a little velvet interior. You feel the quality. So when I'm describing them, like I wouldn't have been able to describe that when um, without kind of having them in my hands and playing with them. So yeah, wherever possible, um, get hold of the product. Which again, it's not it's not always possible. If it's a you know big, you know, if you're writing about super yachts or whatever, you're not going to get a free week on a super yacht, are you? You've just probably got to wing it. But yeah, if the services or products, try and use the service um, or at least get a demo of the service. So um, I'd say that's as far as the kind of research side of things should should go, really. As long as you research the customers, the, uh, the clients, as long as you know the product inside out so you can get a feel for the benefits, you know, the pitfalls uh, and how, it, how it's going to improve people's lives. And then the big idea, it's, I mean, it's, it's a hard one to articulate because sometimes it can just kind of come from anywhere. What I tend to do is, is you know, plow through all of that kind of the reading and the research stuff at the very start. So that's all in there. And then I'll just leave it for a few days. I'll go away. I'll, I'll just let some thoughts kind of, you know, fester in there. Usually after about, you know, 24 to 48 hours of that, you know, I could wake up in the middle of the night, the baby will be crying or whatever, and I'll be like, oh, what's that? I'll get my phone out. There'll be a couple of headlining ideas or even just a couple of angles, which um, I know this is like an, an angle into how I'm going to kind of build this big idea. And it might just be a couple of words. So if I'm writing about headphones, if it's like, you know, I want, I want to talk about the comfort, I might go into like, okay, oh, I could talk about the comfiest things in the world. So what's that? Okay, you've got like, you know, pill- what's the fluffiest things? Pillows, clouds, or like that. I'm in the middle of the night just going, jotting all of this stuff down. It might not come to anything. I might read it two days later and go, yeah, that was that was a load of what's What's the point? But usually there's, there's something within those kind of really early rough notes 
that will form the basis of an idea that I can kind of take to the next stage. And those ideas, yeah, they just it's just connecting to usually disparate things. So when I'm thinking about the product, like I said, if if my angle is coming come to comfort, I'll have a thing. I'll just go around the houses in terms of like the word comfort. So even as rudimentary as at the start of most jobs, I'll I'll get a um, you know a sheet of paper, cut it into four boxes, and in the top left box, I'll do experiences. So my my own experiences of that product. And the top right box is um, synonyms, so other words for that product. Bottom left is idioms, so kind of common phrases and cliches. Most of that's just to discount all the, the obvious ones, really. And then in the bottom right one is is like rhymes. So I go from kind of an, an initial inkling of the big idea to having a load of kind of suitable words that I can play around with. So, um, one, yeah, once those initial ideas are down, that's when I start building on. It's almost like a, an idea, a, a vocabulary that I can use pair, pair kind of big idea. And then again, I'll just play around with that, leave it a, a day or two. And again, it's, it's crucial, you know, back to, back to the advice I can give to kind of junior copywriters and, and copywriters wanting to take that next leap. Time is just crucial and i know at agencies you don't really get it as much as you should you know if you're freelance try try and build two weeks into 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 coming up with an idea don't say oh yeah i'll get back to you in two days your brain hasn't got that time to kind of process it and do all that crucial thinking so so yeah back to the idea i've got me um done my initial research and thinking i've got the words down and then that's where the kind of the, the connections will start firing then. I'll be playing around with the words. So one of them rhymes or one of them idioms, if it was music, it might be like, you know, a popular phrase with the word music in for, for earphones, you know, music to your ears. I might like change the word ears around, you know, music to your eyes, if, if they had like a visual connection or music to your, and I'll just be playing around with all of these different phrases. And that might just magically form the, the, the perfect kind of line, which the idea can hang off. And then, I'll look at how how that idea can then extend whatever the you know the deliverables are, whether they want an email, whether they want it's an out of home ad, I'll then start kind of do the elevator pitch of what the idea is and then just test it within with Laflex for an out of home ad. What's what's what are some headlines I could write about this idea? What's a, a couple of subject lines that, that might make people, you know, open an email if we wrote it and just kind of flesh it out. Sometimes if you know if the idea if the idea doesn't work, you'll you'll notice it within those early stages. And I, I always I wrote about this in my newsletter the other week. Whenever I've come up with, when, normally not it's, it's not normally the big idea I'll do this with, but one of the kind of one of the execution examples. So say I've come up with a headline to test that headline, I'll run it through a little three question filter, which is does it grab attention? Number one, is if it doesn't get noticed, what's the point? Number two is, do they? Do, will your target audience understand it? So is it clear enough? Again, if they if they don't get it, you've wasted your time. And then the third one is, will they feel something when they read that enough to go, oh, I'll pick up the phone, or even just to go, oh, I'll I'll file that in my little brains filing cabinet. So when the time comes for me to buy these headphones, that's that's who I'm going to because that you know that spoke to me on all that passed that three question test, which. You look out there, and certainly B two B world, none of them headlines are passing that test, are they? Let's be honest. Unlock your f- futures. It's just like it's all gobbledygook, isn't it? Or well, the majority of it is. It's not. 
certainly not um, you know striking a chord with people. So, so that's it really in a nutshell. So many good ideas in there. I'm wondering um, how many projects you're juggling at one time because I'm just imagining you know you kind of sit with an idea and then you come back to a couple of days later. So, what is that? juggle of projects look like on a regular basis yeah i've been i've been a glutton for taking on too much work in the past and getting to that point where my brain just feels like blah it's like full of bees all of these ideas it's like the headbutt on each other as they're flying around so it's taken a while also i'm greedy i love earning money especially for myself because everything i do earns money for me as a freelancer so I'm like, right, yeah, I want to earn that money. I want to earn that money. Can I take that work on if it and squeeze it in on Tuesday afternoon? Yeah. Whereas now, now it's like times, time, like times so so much more valuable to me since you know since having a little one um, and slowing down the pace a little bit. That said, I still I still I'm still probably working on maximum three projects at any one time. Yeah. So I'll be working on. Yeah, uh, like at the moment, I'm working on um, a big email and email automation kind of rewrite for for, for one brand. Um, I'm doing some tonal rewrites for a website for a um, a cloud phone. Um, these kind of office office cloud phone company, and I'm also just starting a tone of voice project for a housing company. So they're the, the three ones I've got at the moment. So I'm just. Yeah, they're the ones that I'm allowing to ruminate around my head any more than that. Like I said, it gets a bit it gets a bit messy and a bit hard to hard to manage, um, especially if you, you push for time. All right, Rob, why don't you kick us off? You know the drill. I do know this drill. So there are a lot of things that I think are, are worth uh, touching base on. Number one was just Dave's framework for coming up with big ideas. And, you know, I, we, we should probably encourage everybody to just kind of listen to that on a loop, maybe three or four times. I'll just quickly reiterate the different steps because as he was talking about it, I started to bullet it out. I'm like, wow, there's, there's actually, you know, a lot of stuff going on here. So number one, he mentioned, you know, looking at uh, interviewing customers. Um, second, interviewing staff, founders, people who are involved with the company or the product itself. Number three, digging into forums and reviews and trying to find the real emotive stuff because that isn't always in surveys. It's in the places where people talk about things where the company's not involved. So Reddit kind of uh, things. Number four, getting your hands on the product to test and play with so that you can identify things that you wouldn't be able to see if you don't actually have it. Um, five is do the reading. So reading through the briefing materials, anything that the client has provided, maybe previous marketing materials that have been done for the product or the service before. Six, just letting things sit for a couple of days. Seven is uh, then kind of coming up with the ideas and the the angles that, that just um, you know come from letting it marinate in your brain. And then eight is you start mixing those up, the ideas, the words, the synonyms, looking for uh, something that maybe comes out of that. Dave, then step nine talked about the four boxes that he draws, experiences, synonyms, idioms, and rhymes, and just having that vocabulary of ideas to play with. Then he leaves it for a day or two again and you know really starts coming up with the idea. So I, I think it's a really good framework for thinking through how you do it. It's no wonder that he said you should have at least two weeks to do it properly. Yeah. And there are a lot of steps in there. So I think maybe, maybe I need even more than that time-wise. I think just 
listening to him talk through the process and all the steps involved and then just how you really do need to sit with it and how the ideas, you know, pop into his head at 3 a.m. It just reminded me of how we do need to give ourselves time for these projects and how we need to give ourselves space. And I know that's what so many of us are missing right now. It's like we just feel like there's no space to actually be creative and to do the type of work we want to do. And so, um, you know, we've talked to a, a writer recently who mentioned that he works on a hundred plus projects a month and they're smaller projects. And, um, you know, he's this incredible writer and, but there's not a lot of space to be creative and when you're cranking through a hundred projects. And so uh, Dave mentioned that ideally he's working on no more than three at a time. And I think we all have to figure out what that number is. You know, maybe it's probably not a hundred, but it could be for you. It could be 10. It could be six. It could be one for some copywriters we've interviewed. They can only do one at a time because that's how their brain works best. And that's how they deliver the best work. So just figuring out what that flow is for you can be really helpful. Yeah, another thing that stood out to me as Dave was talking, you know, he intentionally branded himself as the word man instead of using copy in his name. And this strikes me as something that more of us ought to be cognizant of. Not that we necessarily want to call ourselves, you know, the word writer or, or that, but just being aware that oftentimes our clients don't use the same words to talk about what we do that we use. So they don't think about the copy on their website. They might think about the words on their website, right? Or they don't think about top of funnel materials or bottom of funnel or even funnel. So there's all these words that we use and we need to be really careful when we're talking about those, especially in marketing situations, when we're trying to talk about the problems that we solve, we need to make sure that we're using the words that they use. So he did it in a really clever way, just as he was naming himself, but it's something more of us need to be doing in, in the ways that we talk to our clients. Yeah. Which means you actually have to understand who your client is first and, and how they talk and their level of awareness of marketing and, um, that's why it's tricky and you can't just market to everyone because word will resonate with certain business owners and not with other business owners. So just goes back to knowing your ideal client really well, which Dave clearly did and does. He also mentioned his test that he runs his copy through and runs his messaging through and the questions that he asks when he's running it through that test. Number one, does it grab attention? Number two, will your target audience understand it? And number three, will they give a crap? Will they actually care about it? I think that's such a simple test, but you know, we could run all of our copy through that test and do much better work uh, because of it. Yeah, you know, this reminds me of something that David Ogilvie used to talk, or he wrote about it. And he'd say something like the headline on an ad does 80% of the work because you know, of everybody who reads a headline, only 20% go on to read the body copy. And I've always thought that that's maybe not quite it. I think part of the problem is most headlines are so bad that this is the only part of the ad that gets that that's get, gets read. And if headlines were better, more people would read more ads. And it's those three questions, the attention, understanding, and do I care that I think help make headlines great. All right. Well, let's jump back to our interview with Dave to figure out how he uses LinkedIn a little bit differently in his business. So Dave, I want to shift a little bit and talk about what you do with social media. 
so many experts, you know, are like, okay, you got to show up on LinkedIn. You got to be talking about the things that you do. And my sense is that you don't necessarily uh, take the standard approach on LinkedIn. You're, you're posting conversations you're having with scammers. You're, you, like you said, poking fun at, at different companies or different approaches. Talk about your approach and, you know, why you take that approach as opposed to, you know, the, the expert's advice as to what we're supposed to be talking about when we talk about copywriting and marketing. Well, the, the, yeah, the, the two big places I'm active on, on social is, is LinkedIn and Twitter. So let's, let's take LinkedIn. Twitter's mainly my kind of creative mates that really get much work on there. So let's, let's discount that for, for this one, which is more about kind of marketing me and me picking up clients, LinkedIn, I probably get 70% of my clients off there. It's the golden goose. It's, it's like, it's been, you know, worked wonders for me. So I started, um, I mean, they all say we started taking it seriously. It was when I really kind of noticed that LinkedIn changed its news, its news feed to look a little bit like Facebook in like 2017, I think it was 2018. Um, I was contracting at the time uh, and had a little bit of downtime every Friday afternoon when everyone had clocked off and I was still contracted to do half an hour and there was no other work for me to do. So I was like, I'll just plan some posts for next week. So I did one post on there, which before I get onto that, at the time, I'd, I'd already noticed most people are just seeing this as an extension of their CV, not really marketing themselves. And any time they're talking about themselves or what they do, it's all, I'm delighted to announce we've just launched this new product or you know, such and such happened to me today. Nobody on there really that I was connected to anyway was was taking the proper marketing approach, you know, having done the research and you know, knowing exactly who they're targeting. You know, they, they had, certainly had no strategy, and you know the tactic they were employing was just, yeah, just all talking about themselves. There was not nothing strategic about it. So straight away, I'd identify like if I'm smart, yeah, I can, I can stand out just by being everything that they're not. So w what are they doing? So one, well, they're all talking about themselves. So I was gonna m make everything about you know, the people I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to. So that began with like tips, advice. I was giving away everything I know about copywriting and journalism, I suppose, even to an ex a small extent, giving all of that away for free. So I was doing little tips, little guides. No one was doing it at the time. So that kind of helped me stand out. But there was there was one post in particular, which was, um, I did a post, how to charge more for the same thing. And it was just, you know, um, it was it was writing about sausage on toast. Do you get that? Do you get that in America, sausage on toast? Uh, sort of, sort I mean, variations. Yeah. 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 So it was like just a, you can buy it from, you know, there's a van outside our office here, which does it. Every, you can get one on a Friday morning and it's like, you know, a couple of pounds. So all I did was just three examples of, um, kind of flowery writing uh, and to improve, to, to improve the, the product description of the sausage on toast and you can charge more for it. So it was like sausage on toast, one pound, and then you know, two award-winning Lincolnshire sausages on sourdough toast, three pound. And then the last one was like, you know, an advert for a really high-end, like Harrods or someone. It was like, you know, two hand-reared, lovingly, you know, but warm buttered toast, you know, all of that type of stuff. And then at the end, I put a call to action. I put, if you want me to do um, this type of stuff for your products, give me a bell. And it just went nuts. Like that was the first viral post I'd, I'd ever experienced. It was like overnight kind of a million views i had like you know 
hundreds of people landing in me and watching, oh, can you do this for our stuff? Our stuff, like, we don't know how to write about our stuff. Can you do that? And it wasn't even really copywriting. It was just using these kind of, you know, flowery adjectives um, to describe stuff a, a little bit nicer. But the fact that it kind of it, it hit a few sweet spots, so it was really simple, so everyone got it. It was relatable. I wasn't talking about, you know, IT tech here. I was talking about that something that everyone can relate to. So, like, you know, sausage on toast on a Friday morning. It was transferable, so everyone could kind of see it straight away and, and, and you know, either do it themselves for their business or, or, you know, get me to do it for them. So we had all of the, the kind of the nice things. And it was just really, you know, it was really normal. I said about relatable as well. You see, certainly now, like in the you know we're in the world of AI chatbots and stuff, and everything's manufactured, and nothing's got that real kind of humanity to it anymore. Or there's a lot less humanity. And me doing that post, it felt like it stood out because everything else was all about business and clients and work and products, and this was just about an everyday thing like having your breakfast. And I think that's what kind of worked for it. So. That was the first time I started going, oh, I'm going to take this this thing seriously. But it was only really, I'd say, at the start of lockdown where I like doubled down on doing the funny stuff. So I'd, I'd switch from being, you know, copy with personality to like full on, this is like the funny, the silly, the daft. And I'm going to show you why this is going to help your brand win. If you do this type of stuff, it's it's going to help you stand out more, um, be more engaging. Not all brands, obviously, um, but certain brands, you know, for for the right audience, it, it's going to work. So that's what I did. Yeah. So for the last two to three years, I've just gone all in and um, yeah, doing the daft, the funny stuff, just trying to make light of uh, of as much as I can, really. So you know, those different type back to like the tactics you mentioned before the scammer stories so that was just i just saw that like i mentioned before about you know if you see a bad bit of copy in the wild approach the company rewrite it for them demonstrate what you do when this scammer landed in it was like hi dave you know such and such bitcoin i was like let's just take the conversation down a weird little rabbit hole just to just to see if i can come up with an idea on the fly if anything it's testing my ability to just think of scenarios think of character names just take it you know wherever i, I never ever plan them it's just a more more like a little mental test to see if i can worm some kind of you know narrative out of this and turn it into a funny story you know it doesn't always work out some of them they, they've bailed before i've even got to the you know the, the silly stuff but for a lot of them yeah they've t- they've turned out to like nice little just weird little almost like little vignettes just like standalone stories yes straight away i thought like why not i'll just start i'll just start sticking these on yeah on the on linkedin which again <laughs> People are just talking about the businesses. They're not putting stuff on there, which is like basically just the silliest stuff. And I'm talking like pure toilet humor. You know, if you've read them, it, it, I make up you know ridiculous business names with acronyms, which when you spell them out, they're just rude words. I, you know, I make up silly character names. This stuff should not really like belong on LinkedIn traditionally. If you know, if LinkedIn's seen as this big, you know, traditional business platform, so. So, yeah, so when I started doing that, I was amazed that I was getting clients off the back of it saying, I've read all, I've read that, I've shared it with everyone. Like, can, can you do that type of funny daft stuff for us? We really need that type of humor in what we do. So I was like, yeah, sound. So I've got, I've got clients off the back of it. And 
again, like there'll be people, there's always three or four, I published one this morning actually, no one said this today yet, but there's normally three or four saying, I don't know where you find the time. Like, how have you got the time for this? And I always reply, I've always got time for business development. This isn't just me having a laugh. This is me practicing writing. It's putting stuff on the so- socials to market my business and it's bringing in client work. It's it's the furthest from me kind of just messing around than, than it, it could be. So, yeah, that's normally when the penny drops for them, when they realize, you know, I'm not just doing this for a laugh. It's it's kind of part, all part of the strategy. And it has been since since um, I, I switched to this full-on, you know, all guns blazing, silly daft, funny side. You're not doing it for a laugh, but it's it, it makes us laugh as, as viewers looking at it. <laughs> so oh, nice I got one. yeah a couple of questions about it. Um, first of all, I do want to you mentioned AI, so we definitely want to ask you about your opinions on AI. The other, I sent you a LinkedIn request so we can be friends on LinkedIn, and it's pending. So whenever you can accept that, <laughs> I just want to make sure you know we get that connection. And then third, the question is, I mean, you shared what you've been doing on LinkedIn and how it's worked for you. I think that's really helpful. I guess if you could like offer me advice or someone listening who is like, okay, I want to use LinkedIn in this same way. I want to be funny and kind of like my, my, you know, silly self and I want to get business off of it. What do you feel like is working today that could help them? Or is it just doing everything you just told us? It's still working and we should just focus on that. Yeah, does it, I've just accepted your LinkedIn, by the way. I'm, I've got Thank my, yeah, uh, I've got Glad my screen we, open. Glad so, we made yeah. that happen. Thank you. There you go. The connections happening live. I mean, the, the first thing I'd say is don't just rush into it and start telling jokes and you know being just this daft, silly self if it doesn't come naturally to you. Because you know, there's there's people out there who just you know they haven't got that funny bone, and forcing funny is the last thing they should be doing. Being themselves. I think they should do more of, um, especially the, you know, the, the one-man bands, the freelancers out there, um, and people looking to build their own, you know, I hate the phrase, personal brand, but um, people looking to kind of build that stuff out. I think showing the real you is is a good way to do that, not necessarily just being all laughy and jokey and, oh, nice, silly, whatever. Mine is kind of, you know, I've all, I grew up, like, you know, working class family, north of England, everything was just relentless, you know, piss taken of each other growing up. All my mate, my mates, even now, like when, you know, when you haven't seen each other for a few weeks, it's just constant, like, you know, ribbing each other. It's just, it's just kind of ingrained in, in how I've always been growing up. I was always, you know, big fan of comedy and stuff. So I haven't just got to this stage of my career and thought, okay, let's just turn up this, you know, get a joke book and throw it out there. It's It's been kind of a natural progression for me. So, yeah, real one, I'd say don't just jump into that. I suppose to find, a question I get from a lot of a lot of copywriters as well is like, how did you find your voice? How did you find your natural voice? And again, it's, it's nothing that can really be rushed. It was only really, it was probably at the, at the same time I started doing the, the kind of funnier stuff where it felt the most kind of natural me. So at, at that stage, I started kind of getting rid, even just from my own, my own vocabulary when I was writing about myself started getting rid of words that I don't ever say. So just really embracing the authentic. So like the start of emails, like where I'm from in Liverpool, we don't really say hi. 
you know, hi, we this is just not something we say. But I'd always started emails, hi, because that's how I was always told. But I say higher. So now, <laughs> whenever I start an email, whether it's to you know one of my mates, one another one, and another people, someone who works in this co-working space where I am now, or if it was the CEO of Nike asking me to write for him. I don't know his name. He'd say, say his name's John. I'd reply to his email and say, hi, John, yeah, I'd love to work on that. Cheers. At the end, I wouldn't put many, you know, kind regards or many thanks. Just wouldn't, just not. not best. Yeah, best. Yeah, I'm waiting for somebody to, I'm waiting for somebody to end an email. Worst. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, well, there, there's your next Friday, your next Friday email right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, worst. So that, that was a, a conscious thing I did. So embracing my own dialect, if you like, uh, and really leaning into that in, in how I speak, you know, not to, the, not to the point where I'm kind of just forcing stuff in, but just to the point where like, even like rather than saying like good, I'll say sound. That's what we say here. Oh, sound, nice one. Rather than, rather, again, rather than thanks, I'll say, oh, nice one. So I'll, I'll drop that type of stuff in, in within my, um, my own marketing. So when people are reading that, especially if they've heard me speak or they've met me, if they see me doing that in my marketing, they can almost hear my voice saying those words. And again, it just builds that trust. It builds that, oh, this is the real them. They're not putting on a front. And I think if you can do that, you can break down so many barriers. So, yeah, number one is is probably, I don't know why I'm numbering these, but, um, yeah, really embrace your kind of authentic self. Um, and then, yeah, with regards to kind of trying the, the funnier stuff, it's all down to testing, really. It's like... Speaking to Eddie Schleiner the other week, actually, one of one of my absolute copywriting idols, and, and like I'm buzzing to say he's a friend of mine now. But he was we were talking about like comedians. It's like uh, oh no, I, I've just signed up to do a talk actually in October. And I was like oh I'm gonna practice it. He's like make sure you do your practice. Like you, you should you want to know it like off by heart so like you can just riff it. He said it's like what's his, what's his name uh, Jerry Seinfeld. People always say to him oh yeah he's so natural. Like how'd you come up with all that stuff? And he's like I practiced everything. That's not just me making stuff up on the spot. I've covered every single base. It's all kind of learned. So as much as you can put that practice in. You know, we're not certainly. I'm not a, no, no comedian, but the people trying funny stuff on you know on the socials to try and you know promote their business. They're not comedians, but it's certainly a place we test the, the the stuff that isn't in in your kind of natural you know ballpark of of marketing. So it could be anything from just telling stories with a few little funny twists in them. It could be anecdotes about something that's happened that week within, you know, your business or something funny. A lot, a lot of this, the stories I'll start with like a quote. So something weird or strange. If someone's, if you've overheard a conversation or someone said something to you that makes your ears prick up, it's probably going to make up somebody else's ears prick up. But when you, when you read that, <laughs> one of me, one of me, um, yeah, I think it is my favourite ever story I'd put on LinkedIn was just the time that my mum said, she looked at me dead in the eyes and said, David, your face is going to explode. And I was like, I remember <laughs> as she said it, I was just like, wow, just, she was basically telling me I was getting a bit fat, but oh my goodness. just, you know, saying <laughs> you're putting on weight, David, um, wasn't working clearly. So she went, your face is going to explode. So I wrote a, an article about, or, a, you know, a post on LinkedIn about, you know, why using more powerful words um, is going to make people sit up and take notice. So 
don't just tell people they should maybe lose weight. Tell them that the face is going to explode. So just use something that my mum said as the basis of, or the, as the intro for a story, and then kind of wormed, you know, the thinly veiled copywriting yeah, moral at the end, like a really, you know, working class Aesop's fable. And then, yeah, just um, that, that, that's kind of one way to, or one angle you can come on at. So funny stuff that you've you've kind of noticed and people have said. Parody is a good one as well. So stuff, I do quite a lot of parody. So you'll see stuff, especially on LinkedIn's right for people that's taking themselves so seriously. It's like, the, for me, it feels like there's a very like tiny community of people who are just like, looking at the you know the growth hackers and all the people sticking carousels on now about how to you know 100x your productivity when you do xyz and it's like we've only got so much time in a day i ain't sitting through a a hundred slide carousel to find out how to 100x my productivity absolutely no chance so i'll parody that type of stuff I'll, i'll i'll like do it, <laughs> yeah, do it uh, like a ridiculous, the anti version of that. So there was one, there was a quote years ago, which um, again, another sto- another story that I did, which got me business. You've probably seen this quote, um, but somebody had posted it on LinkedIn, and it was I can't remember the the exact word and of it, but it was every time I get to the end of a rep at the gym, push or every time you get to the end of end of a set at the gym, push yourself to do one more. So that was that was the quote. It's all about just like you know having that extra, finding that extra bit of fire in your belly. I suppose um, that's what they were trying to get at. So I parried, I parodied that. But I said, whenever you get to the end of the set at your gym, um, when you can do no more, do nine more. So took it to the extreme. But then I started getting into how this kind of t- overtook my life. So every morning, rather than just having one piece of toast, I was having to eat the whole loaf. I was leaving the house with nine T-shirts on. I started nine time in my girlfriend. Just took it to a mad kind of parody level. And then at the end, the, the, like bringing it back to reality, it was, um, you know, don't try and do too much. The more you take on, um, you know, the harder it is to cope. And same in your market messages. If you throw 10 market messages in an email, people are just like, doo, 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 can't you know, get it. So go real single-minded so yeah there's always that you've always got to bring it back to whatever you do i think if you're just writing funny stuff with no no link to what you do it's like you know where where's the punchline what's the what's the point of it it has to have some link not not always kind of directly the scammer stories they've got no link back to you know my i put a call to action at the end saying if you want more scammer stories or silly stuff like this get my Friday email, but when they get that email, there's more stuff in there about what I do, copywriting, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then further down the line, you know, I'll have a course, a book, you know, posters, something to sell to earn me, earn me a little pa- bit of passive income so I can, I'm not always sat in this chair. I can earn a little bit of dough while I'm feeding the baby on a weekend. <laughs> so, so yeah, so there, there are a few ways. Just test stuff out. You know, if, if something bombs or as long as it's not as long as you're not insulting anyone or writing something really crass that could put your potential, you know, customers or target market off. If you're confident that the people you're targeting can cope with it, go, go for it. And if people don't like it, are they meant to be your, your client, your customer anyway? If they don't like your authentic voice telling jokes which you think are suitable for your target audience. I get loads of unsubscribes. They're like, mm, that Friday email is not for me. A few too many swear words in that one. Or mm, it's just a little bit close to the bone with that. And they're gone. And that's great because it means I haven't had to waste time on a phone call with them in two weeks' time when they say, 
can you write these blog posts about this really techy thing? And I'm like, clearly we're not meant to be, are we? Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's a few ideas anyway. Good stuff. I- I'm going to steal Kira's question because she wanted to ask about AI. Tell us about your thoughts around artificial intelligence, how it might impact the work that you do and maybe the, the marketing world around us. I mean, clearly it's my mortal enemy, and I think that the robots should be stopped before they do any more damage. I think Will Smith is right there with you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more Terminator 2 for me. You know, cyber Cyberdyne systems where the robots take over, and it's just like, we've gone a little bit too far here. These are starting to think now. Like, hmm, or the Matrix. It's like, it's crossed between about six different films. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at the moment like taking the piss out of the robots. I'm, I'm writing stuff which is just really, just poking fun at them, really. There's, there's certainly a, a lot of copywriters, more so the content writers, so people doing the longer form stuff, who are a little bit worried at the moment that these things are going to take their jobs. And I I come at, at it from, I don't know, quite a brutal like standpoint. If your stuff is is that generic that a robot can take your job, you don't deserve that job anyway. Your, your stuff should be so, you know, unique, um, full of kind of real kind of grit, humanity, you know, lived experience, empathy, that no robot should have a clue how to how to write anything that you're you know, going to be writing. That said, from a, a kind of content marketing side of things where, you know, you've got these longer posts, which blog posts, for instance, if businesses aren't really that bothered about having, you know, this lovely, lovely craft, crafted, you know, prose in their exact tone of voice, if they're just looking for SEO stuff, which kind of explains things, demonstrates a little bit of their experience. Okay, it's going to be really generic. I think a lot of them are going to spend a little bit, a few quid on ChatGPT than they are on a content writer to to kind of do that for them. So I think those those kind of jobs are going to be in danger. But I think more so the, the reality is more so it's gonna it's gonna be more like it's gonna I think it's gonna replace Google almost. So when our first port of call, especially when we're doing research and stuff, you go on Google, don't you? You type in such a, well, oh, what do I need to learn more about to write this article or to, to understand this product? Whereas Google will spit back ten things and you'll probably spend half an hour going, Oh, that's that's you know, that's rubbish. Oh, what's that? Oh, that's you know, a business listing. What's that? Uh ChatGPT will probably give you the most or the best syndicated kind of best answer that you want, which is going to give you an overview, especially on stuff you don't really understand about. So you, you might go on. I could, you know, these headphones have got an active noise cancellation. If the if the the brand themselves weren't giving me any information on that, I could probably go. I'd probably be better off going to ChatGPT and say, "How does active noise cancellation work?" Than I am typing that into Google and having to sift through twenty different you know websites. It's probably going to give me that rudimentary, real basic information that I need in as kind of plain a way as possible. But as a, yeah, as a writer, that's that's probably the extent I'd use it for um, at the moment, anyway, for, for my research. In terms of the the more creative stuff, I think it's going to be again useful to get past blank pages and a nice little thought starter for when you you know when you're completely stuck for ideas. We we all have those days, don't we? Where it's like it's just just not flowing now, or I just can't think of the angle. Just typing in, give me eight ideas for what you know X Y Z. It might just spark one little idea. So I think. Again, I'm taking the piss out of it. I'll I'll poke fun at the robots all day because they lack empathy, they lack that lived experience. But just as a little way of getting past the blank page, they're they're 
they're going to be slightly better than Google at providing that, I think, because they just, you know, you go to Google, too much choice is a bad thing, isn't it? Chat GPT, it spits it back in 300 words. It's like, oh, yeah, not actually a bad idea. Although there's one um, really smart brand strategist called Tom Roach on LinkedIn. He wrote that his team within his agency, whenever they get a new brief, they they get the, 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 the agency team, the creatives to come up with different ideas and angles, and then they type the exact brief into ChatGPT. And whatever ChatGPT spits back, if the agency staff have come up with the same idea, they discount it immediately because they see if the robots are coming up with this stuff, it needs to be it needs to be a lot better than that. So they're using it as almost as you know an, an, an anti-creative tool to discount the most common stuff. But but yeah, that's I think that kind of sums it up. I mean, it's it's obviously the root of all future evils, but I think it's gonna be a, it's, I think it's gonna be a nice little you know, personal assistance, especially for people. Like I called it, someone picked me up on it, actually. I called it a tool for the underskilled and overwhelmed. So it's it's for people who, you know, they haven't done the, the, the kind of 17 years of experience that I've kind of done. They haven't got the hours in the bank. They haven't done the, 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 the day courses and the degrees. And they don't know the long way around. They, they, they've probably got two or three or four years experience learning as they go. I think it's going to be hugely helpful for those type of people to get past that, That you know, oh, I haven't got an idea. Whereas I think the, the people who've been doing it for years and, you know, that those are the top of the game and work, who've been working at agencies, they know that, you know, it's back to me drawing me four boxes on the page. That's my chat GPT, the, like the old, the old school way, coming up with them words. So I think if people have got, you know, those um, little techniques that will help them get past the blank page. I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll find much use with with the the AI tech. Anyway, what about you? What do you think about it? Well, we we created a whole podcast where we talk about it. A new, a new podcast, just so we can talk about it nonstop because we can't stop talking about it. So we can. Yeah, I, I think we land where you are. I, I think that it is certainly going to have an impact, but uh, people who use it as a tool for learning, for brainstorming, for improving their own processes, their own work product are going to be a lot better off. You know, at this point, there's a, a lot of things like you mentioned that it doesn't do. It doesn't do emotional well. It cannot create real experiences that a person has had. That's not to say that ChatGPT 5 or 6 or 10 or whatever won't be able to do that someday. But I, I think you're exactly right, uh, at least in my thinking. The more original you can be, the more you can bring genuineness and who you are to the copy that you write or doing that for your clients, you know, helping bring them out, the better off you're going to be. But don't be afraid of the tools. You know, they're out there. They can help us in so many ways. And I think we'd be foolish to ignore them. But also, uh, I'm not quite ready to say all the jobs are going away. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't do quirky. It doesn't do weird, funny copy. Like you said, the type of copy you write that we're drawn to as writers it, it it's not there yet will it get there can it channel that at some point maybe but for right now i feel like if you are a great talented writer who takes creativity and humanity seriously and brings that to your work you're going to be okay and you can speed up efficiencies like rob said using some of the tools yeah i can see i can certainly see that happening i think yeah the, the humanity thing is just if, if it can learn that 
I think we're all screwed. <laughs> yeah. Then we have bigger problems. Again, yeah. back back to um, Eddie Slayner. I don't know if you saw his post a few weeks ago. He, he uh, typed into ChatGPT, write about the first time you see your your new baby boy. And yeah, Chat, I saw he, that. He showed ChatGPT's version. Oh my god! He showed he showed Eddie's ver- Eddie's version nearly made me cry. I was I had tears in my eyes reading Eddie's, and ChatGPT's was like reading, you know, stereo manual. It was very cold. Yeah, it was yeah. just like oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm reading about my new baby boy, not a microwave. Like, what are you playing at? Okay, so it's it's not there yet, but... No, no. I can I can see a future where, you know, I could probably upload every email I've ever written, and then within 10 minutes, it's going to go, right, so yeah, I'll spit one back at you in your exact tone, using back to what I was saying before about learning the voice of your customer and the, the, their vocabulary. It's probably going to be able to do that in the blink of an eye. So, um, yeah, it's going to keep us on our toes anyway, whatever happens. Yeah. So um, before we wrap, I want to make sure we do ask about what's happening for you next. You mentioned a poster that you might have a poster you're selling. You might have a book you're selling if we want to buy these things. So please tell us what's happening next. Nothing for sale right away. A couple of posters imminently. I've done a, I've done a couple of posts on LinkedIn that went kind of viral. So one's a bit of a jokey like a fest up music festival poster called Copy Fest. I was actually shared in several of our groups. So oh, was, was it? Yeah, oh, wow. that, yeah. So it, yeah, it definitely hit. Uh, you know, resonated with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It seemed to at the time. So um, and again at the time, I should have had posters ready to go because I'd have probably made a mint. But you know. I'm not, I'm, you know, a journalist, I'm not a marketer. So um, I le- I'm learning this stuff as I go. So yeah, I thought, right, let's, let's get some, uh, there's about 25 people. So I'd buy that if it was a poster, I'd have that if it was on a t-shirt. So um, there's a graphic design in here who I've just commissioned to, to turn it into. I just used some like, you know, poster generator. There's me slamming AI. I'm using some AI little tool. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not ChatGPT, but yeah, a, a design thing. Um, so I'm getting that, getting that made at the moment and working out how to, you know, use Shopify and Printful and all of that, you know, lovely technical stuff, which I'm terrible at. So they, they'll be for sale probably within the next month. So there's that one and then there's another one called the Copy Iceberg, which is, you know, you've seen the classic, the tip of the iceberg and then there's a big, massive, nasty bit under the water. So at the top of the iceberg is, you know, all the stuff that people see, which is just do it and beans, mean times. Whereas underneath the copy iceberg is, you know, how long will it take you to write 10,000 words? And, you know, what's another word for this, Dave? And all the kind of day-to-day rudimentary stuff, which I know is going to be, at the time, I think I published that last year, but at the time there was loads of copywriters going, I'd have that as a poster. So yeah, starting small, two little posters, see how they go. Um, But then longer term, I'm working on a course at the moment, how to write funny copy, which is going to be out um, hopefully in the autumn. Um, And then a, a book will probably follow that. I'm doing the course first. I've got a couple in mind. Got one to do with the scammer stories, another one around my illustrious uncle Tony, who who forms, the, he plays the lead part in um, many of my stories on social media. He's mentioned quite a few times in your newsletter as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, more so when I'm debunking the um, the truisms from the likes of you know Mr. Vaynerchuk, Mr. Sinek, formerly Mr. Oleg Vishnopolsky, all the LinkedIn celebrities who seem to put this, you know, these vacuous truisms out on the daily. So Tony debunks all of that type of stuff. So yeah, yeah, a few few little things in the pipeline. And I'm also working on another little project to open um, 
copywriting agency as well with another one of my pals. So in its very, yeah, it's very early infant, infant stage at the moment, which is hopefully going to yeah, make the whole process a lot easier for the smaller businesses who at the start, I said that just alienated by the land on it you know, a, a copywriting website, a copywriting agency or the, the search for that type of stuff. And I think everything feels, or a lot of the time it feels quite daunting. And, oh, I've got to fill in up these briefs and what's the tone of voice being? I don't know what a call to action is and all of that type of stuff. It's going to kind of cut through all of that whilst also providing, I think, quite a lot of work as well for other decent kind of sector specialist copywriters out there who I know, you know, I'm in enough groups to hear that times are tough at the moment and there's, there's not loads of stuff out there so yeah if we can um bring more more work to more copywriters um all the better for it so yeah quite a few going on at the moment i mean newsletter yeah, every friday you, you'll hear about all of that if you sign up to my newsletter we should well, yeah let's let's plug that right now so you know to connect with you dave like tell us where to sign up for the newsletter where we should be following you on, on linkedin twitter etc yeah, so the newsletter is available. At my, well, you, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you can't miss it because I mention it at the end of every post relentlessly and shamelessly. I, again, that's yeah, that's another one from my mate Eddie. He, he was like, stick it at the end of every post. So, but if you just want to sign up straight away, it's at my website, which is thewordman.co.uk. There's a big subscribe button there, so you can get that. It's just me every Friday. Yeah. Um, with unconventional copywriting techniques, silly stories, and uh, yeah. Loads of just messing around, messing around with words, really, which is um, what it's all about. Um, and I'm on Twitter as well at, at Wordman Copy, if you want to follow me on there. But like I said at the start, it's more of my kind of creative mates just talking about kind of copywriting. So making making the jokes that people wouldn't get on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, well, Dave, this has been great. Just a, a view into your creative process and you know how you've run your business. So thank you so much for sharing so much about what you do. And uh, yeah, just we really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, nice one. My pleasure. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's been good. I've been, um, yeah, I was buzzing when you invited me on. I've been a fan of the podcast for a while. Oh, so that's so yeah. nice. We'll we'll make a few more of our listeners fans of, of you in, in oh, nice your, your newsletter. So, Cheers. That's the end of our interview with Dave Harlan. Kira, is there anything else from the second half of this interview that you want to talk about? Um, we'll talk down language. You know, we t- talk a lot about brand voice and, and uh, personality and sounding like who you are, helping your clients do that. And so we talked to Dave about that and I just really appreciated how he used examples of words he would never say and just kind of how in language that we would never use and even signing off for from an email and signing off as you know best best right. yeah worst i wish i could do i wish i could do dave's accent worst yeah right yeah or like warm regards just things that we use and say in our language and we assume it's just normal but it's like i would never actually say that in person so why am i saying that and so that conversation even though i know that and i feel i specialize in brand voice um it was just a really powerful reminder that uh i should really listen to my own voice and then also pull that out of my clients like if they don't use that word or that phrase and make sure I cut that out of their copy too. Um, just the importance of that. Yeah. I was playing around with ChatGPT, writing some emails the other day. And the very first line of the email was, I hope this email finds you well, which is the most overused 
try yeah we i mean the reason the reason chat gpt comes up with it is because it's been said millions of times yeah it's a great great example something that we all do way too much dave also talked about his uh, approach to linkedin and social media in general and there are a couple of things that you know he talked if anybody hasn't seen dave's linkedin profile or or seen what he does there you should definitely jump in there and just check out some of the posts because uh, his approach is very different from just about anybody else that I've uh, seen there. And he's doing some, he does some things that are obviously very related to advertising, but he also does some pretty wacky stuff. And he mentioned specifically that he's trying to stand out by being everything that everybody else isn't. So, you know, he's he's looking for content that stands out, but he's also using ideas that are transferable. So, you know, when he was talking about the sausage um, sandwich that he can get for breakfast, and when he changes up the copy on that, that's an idea that's really easy to apply to other things that people might be working on, things that are in my business. It's not a sausage roll necessarily, but I can see how changing the copy or improving the copy might help with sales. So it's those ideas are transferable. And then finally, relatable, You know, making sure that what we do there is human. And I think a lot of the funny stuff that he does there that's not related to business at all makes him seem more human, more real, the kind of person that you wouldn't mind sitting down across the table and sharing a drink with or lunch with and people like working with people that they like it's that simple and so when we're looking for content that attracts clients to us those are the kinds of things we want to be doing yes and i am i am now friends with him on linkedin oh it's not called friends we're connected connections we're connected we're connected on linkedin so thank you dave for the connection so now i get to watch him close up and learn from him because uh that's I would like to show up in a similar way on LinkedIn, not doing the same things. That's a ball for Dave, but I think um, trying to be funny. Uh, I'll try to be funny like Dave. That's what I want to do. That's my goal. So Dave also mentioned that uh, he considers AI his mortal enemy, which I know he's having some fun with it. Uh, obviously, the tools are there to help us be more creative and we can use them that way. And Hopefully, we don't all end up as Detective Spooner from iRobot and have, you know, the robot army trying to knock us all off. Well, we want to thank Dave for joining us on the podcast to talk about how he's grown his business and how he's created a prominent brand voice in the copywriting industry. If you want to connect with him, and you definitely should, you can join his newsletter and connect with him on LinkedIn. We'll link to uh, his links in the show notes so you can become buddies with Dave. Before we wrap, we are hosting a free AI copywriting five-day challenge that I guess Dave may not want to be a part of, or maybe he'll jump in with us, Um, but it's, it's completely free and it's a great way for all of us to come together and experiment with ChatGPT in creative new ways so we can figure out how it works, how it can work for us, so we can have more space for that creativity that Dave talked about today. And we can also provide more value uh, for with our clients. So it's a no-brainer decision to work with us. If you want to join in with us, uh, we kick off April 26th and you can sign up for the free challenge at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash AI challenge. Yes, and if AI is your thing, you can also check out our new podcast called AI for Creative Entrepreneurs, and that's at AI for Creative Entrepreneurs.com. 
That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. If you like what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts and leave a review of the show. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money.